Heavenly Father, we do desire that we would be emptied of ourselves and filled instead, Lord, with you and with your spirit. Just as John the Baptist said, may we decrease that your spirit might increase, that you might be glorified. Lord, as we go to your word right now, we pray that you would be our teacher. Father, that you would minister to every single heart that's here. Lord, you know the, the, the difficulties of life that people may be going through, everybody's circumstances, and you love every one of them that's here. And Father, as we look at walking in your grace, Lord, I pray that we truly would learn to do that, to walk in the grace of God, to reflect the love of Jesus Christ to the world around us. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We'll be happy to get you one. If you don't have one, that means you need one. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 15. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. And uh, last week we looked at understanding God's grace, and this week we're going to look at walking in God's grace. And I want to just, again, by the way of review, just catch you up real quickly. Maybe if you're here for the first time, just to give you an idea of what's going on and what's brought us to this point in the text. Uh, if you are here for the first time, I just want to say welcome. We're really glad you're here. We hope you feel like part of the family. Uh, here at Calvary Chapel, we don't have membership. You just show up and you're a part of the family. We got Jesus in common. We got everything in common. Amen? And so the book of Acts is really the story of the first century church. It's referred to as the Acts of the Apostles, but it could also be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit or the Acts of the Early Church. And we saw that Jesus has now gone away. He's left them, empowered them with the Holy Spirit. And now the church is to be His representation as the Holy Spirit flows through them to the world around them. He had called them to fulfill the Great Commission, to go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. And we saw how with boldness Peter had gone from being a man who denied the Lord to being a man who spoke boldly for the Lord. And so had the other apostles. And the difference in Peter's life is the same thing that needs to happen in our lives. The Holy Spirit came to be upon him. And when he came upon him, Peter spoke with great boldness. Didn't walk around with fear and anxiety and worry anymore. And maybe you're here this morning and you struggle with fear and anxiety, anxiety and worry. But I want you to know that God, by His grace, can pour out His Spirit upon you and those problems will go away. You know, we don't need to go through a 12-step program or go visit, you know, a, a, a counselor. We've got the mighty counselor and He desires to minister to our hearts. And so we saw as we've gone through, we've seen them reaching out and finally through persecution, they were spread out of Jerusalem, began to minister to Samaria, Judea and Samaria, and then, then finally to the uttermost parts we got to chapter 13. And Paul and Barnabas went out on their first missionary journey, and those of you guys who were here, you'll remember that everywhere they went, what did they face? What did they face? Persecution, because when we make a stand for God, there will typically and almost always be difficulty that will follow because the enemy doesn't stand by and watch. And the Bible says that Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we know that as Paul and Barnabas, they would go into a city and there would be many who believed and almost virtually the very next verse in the text would say, and then they were persecuted. And then they were abused or they were taken, they were thrown outside of the city. Even to the point where Paul was stoned in Lystra. You guys remember that story? He was taken outside of the city and he was stoned to death. But when Paul was resurrected, which I believe is what happened, because it says in 2 Corinthians that he went up into the third heaven and God showed him great things during that time that he had been stoned. And then he came back. And what did he do when he woke up? Where did he go? Right back into Lystra. How do you stop a guy like that? You don't. And when the Holy Spirit is upon somebody, I mean, there's just an incredible power that is there that God might be glorified. And so we come now to, to chapter 15 where we were last week and we saw God's grace or understanding God's grace. And I think this is such an important subject. I want to just go over this real quickly again. That understand that along with persecution that comes from the outside, there will be though, division that can come from the inside. There will be persecution from unbelievers, but there also can be division within the body of Christ. And, or, or those who proclaim to be Christians bringing division in the body of Christ. And that's what we saw last week because you remember what happened was that these great works were being done and the church in Antioch was exploding and these Judaizers, these Jewish guys who still believed in the law, came into Antioch and said, if you guys are going to be Christians, you must be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. They said Jesus' death on the cross is not enough. You must believe in that, but also you must keep the law. 
In a sense, you must become a Jew before you can become a Christian. And I want to tell you that that's a danger that still exists in the church today. Faith is not Jesus plus, it's, it's just faith in Christ alone. And it's not Jesus plus something equals salvation. It's Jesus plus nothing else that equals salvation. We start adding to the cross, we start making Jesus a liar when he died on the cross and he said, it is finished. We're saying, well, that's, that's not good enough. Just his death and his blood, there must be more to it. And, you know, that's how you identify cults today. They say that the work of the cross is not enough. You must be baptized in our baptismal. You must go to these classes at our place. You must keep all these rules and regulations. And what happens is you take legalism and you pour it out on top of people and, you, and they, they're under bondage. And we saw that last week that this debate, this dispute got heavy and Paul and Barnabas stood up and said, that's not true. The Judaizers came in and the people started feeling burdened. And it breaks my heart. I meet Christians all the time that feel burdened. Because they feel like, well, I can't be good enough to be a Christian. I, you know, I'm not as good as you know, Billy Graham. I'm not as good as you know, my uncle, who's such a spiritual man, or my aunt, or my grandmother. And I could just never be good enough, so I just can't do it. I, can I encourage you with something? That Jesus loves you just the way you are right now. Amen? He loves you. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. And when someone comes and tells you, you must do all of these things, then God will love you, that's a lie. And it's blasphemy. And that's what was happening. This new church was exploding, and of course the enemy's not going to sit by still. And so here come the Judaizers that say, you guys must be circumcised. Now this is heavy. If you're a young man in that church, how are you feeling right about now? Now wait a minute. I, hey, I, I thought, you know, the blood of Christ, that's what I was told. What are you talking about? You guys over there are just sharpening knives up front, you know? And, and they said, no, no, no. And so what happened here was that Paul and Barnabas, the dispute got so great that they went back to Jerusalem. And they sent them back to speak to the apostles, to ask them, are, do we have to be circumcised? Do we have to keep the law in order to be saved? Remember what I said last week. It's not faith or works, or faith plus works. It's faith that works. Amen. It's an outpouring of our faith that works are produced, not that we do works to prove that we have faith. And so we see that they go back, and as soon as they get there, this dispute arises, and the Pharisees stand up in Jerusalem. Last week we saw this. And they begin to say, no, you must keep the law of Moses, and you must be circumcised. And then Peter stands up after listening for a long time. This, you know the Holy Spirit's on Peter because he listened for a long time. Right? That was never Peter. Peter was pull a sword out and lop off ears and, you know... And now we see Peter, and he listens, and he gets done listening. He stands up and says, and he gives four points that I really appreciate. He, he pointed out four things that Christ had done for, the, for them to prove that he had reached out to the Gentiles. The first thing he did was he sent Peter to the Gentiles. Back in Acts chapter 10, he gave Peter a vision, and he told, showed him the unclean animals. He said, rise, kill, and eat. And he said, what I have called clean, let no man call unclean. And he sent him out to go speak to the Gentiles. Then he gave the Gentiles the Holy Spirit. Then he broke down the center wall between Judaism and Gentiles when he said there's no Jew nor Greek anymore. There's no slave nor free. And then lastly, he removed the, removed the yoke of the law. And sadly, what's happening now is the Jews are coming, and in a sense, what they're trying to do is go back to Judaism. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, I said this last week, what happened to the veil that went into the Holy of Holies? What happened to it? It was torn. It was saying no longer do you need to come with the blood of a, a lamb anymore to enter into that holy place. Jesus is the lamb. The blood has been paid. And we can all enter in anywhere and anytime when we come with the blood of Christ. And what these Jews were doing in a sense is they were sewing the veil back up. They were taking a needle and thread saying, no, no, no. We need to keep all the laws. We need to keep all the rituals. We need to keep all the rules. No, we don't. No, we don't. Jesus said it is finished. And so Peter stood up and pointed these things out to them. And as soon as Peter got done talking, Paul and Barnabas stood up. And they began to tell of all the great things that God had done in the Gentiles. In all the cities they had gone into, all the people that had gotten saved, how the Holy Spirit had come upon them, the great and awesome works, even the miracles that had been done. And then finally, after Paul and Barnabas stood up and spoke, then James, the brother of Jesus, who was the head of the church now in Jerusalem, he stood up and took them to the Old Testament, to Amos chapter 9, and showed them that not only was this God's perfect plan, 
Not only had he poured out the Holy Spirit upon them, not only had he paid the price on the cross, but the fact that the Gentiles would come to know Christ was prophesied in the Old Testament. And you'll see there in, in verses uh, 16 and 17, he talks about him raising up again the tabernacle of David. And as I shared last week, I believe that this tabernacle of David is a, re- is a picture of Jesus. A tabernacle is a temporary dwelling place. Who's the son of David? Jesus. Son of David is a reference to the Messiah. So he said, he's going to raise up the, this temporary tabernacle to the son of David, and through them all people might believe. That's a picture of Jesus Christ. So we see God's grace. And now we understand that it's not faith plus works or faith or works. It's faith that works. And we understand it's not Jesus plus good works. It's not Jesus plus baptism. It's not Jesus plus uh, reading your Bible even. Now I want to make something really clear. God desires we spend time in His Word. God desires that we would be baptized. God desires that we would share our faith. God desires that our lives would bear much fruit. But understand, those are not prerequisites to salvation. They are fruits of salvation. Amen? So, there are churches that they'll sit you down and you've got to keep all these rules. I'll tell you what. The Judaizers had 613 commandments. I wonder how they were doing on that program, right? I met a Jewish man years ago who told me he had 613 commandments he had to keep. I said, how's that working out? You know, I, I know it's not working out too good. Because I know 10 of them, and I know you're breaking those, right? I mean, the reality is that we are sinners saved by grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense, not our good works. So we pick up this morning in verse 22, and now we're going to move from understanding God's grace to walking in God's grace. They disputed over God's grace, they defended God's grace, and now we're going to see the decision as they're going to deliver this message of grace back to the Gentiles, and I love that. Then after they deliver the message, we're going to see a division that takes place in midst of the disciples, and then finally, we're going to see them walking out God's grace in the way they live before others. So let's pick up in verse 22. And look at this decision as they delivered the message of God's grace back to the Gentiles. Verse 22. It says, now that, this is after the decree had come that they didn't have to keep the law anymore. Then it pleased the apostles and the elders and the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. So having Hurley cleared the word from, from Peter, from Paul, from Barnabas, and from James, and had references from the Old Testament, having received the truth from the authority, they now take that truth and they're going to go deliver it to the Gentiles. Now, the authority in those days were the apostles, and that's where they would go for authority. What is the authority today? What is it? It's God's Word. When we go through difficulties and we don't understand something, where do we turn? We turn right here. And so they had turned to the authority that God had placed at that time, and that authority had delivered the truth, and now they took that truth that they had been given, and they went and they spread it to, to the Gentiles. We're to take the truth that we've been given, and we're to share it with the unbelievers as well. Amen? And we're to encourage the believers from God's Word. And so that's what they're doing. And look what it says here, the whole church agreed. So what happens when you go to the authority, and you sit at the feet of the authority, and you look at what the authority says, then there is unity. When we make God's Word the authority in the church, we will be unified because God's Word is clear. When we start voting on things and seeking what men have to say and organizations think, then there's division. But if we look at God's Word, there's unity. And so they had heard from God. He spoke through the apostles, references from the Old Testament, and they went back unified in purpose and in passion. My prayer for the churches here in Santa Cruz County is that we be unified in reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. Amen? Again, it doesn't matter which lifeboat they get in as long as they get to shore. And I pray for the other pastors here in town, and I, man, my heart is that we would all just be on the same team. Amen? Not our church is better than theirs, or theirs is better than ours, we got this, and then, who cares? We're all on the same team. We all have one passion, we all have one desire, to see people come to know Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what it's all about. Verse 23. They wrote this letter to them, letter wrote the letter by them, the apostles and the elders and the brethren, to the brethren 
who are in Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. So again, they'd begun in dispute, but now they're writing a letter unified in belief to bless and clarify the truth to all the churches, the Gentile churches. Verse 24. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. This law, they're saying, this law that's been placed upon you guys did not come from God. It did not come from the apostles. It did not come from the Holy Spirit. It came from men. And you know what? I said this last week, that the law brings a burden. You, you start throwing legalism on people, and people walk around burdened. But grace brings joy. Amen? And I said last week, some people bring joy wherever they go, and some people bring joy whenever they go, Right? And the reality is that as Christians, we should be ones who bring joy to people when we share with them the grace of God. How can the gospel message not bring joy to someone who's willing to hear? And that's the message that they had. He said, look, don't bring burdens onto people. Don't say, okay, now you've come to church. That's it. Now, now that we've got you here, let me give you the rules. You have a bunch of people walking around. Oh, I can't. And just, man, the church is not a police station. It's a hospital. Amen? It's not a place where people come to get beat up on. It's a place where people come to get well, to be nourished, to to have ointment put upon them, the ointment of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to be loved on. That's what should happen when you come on Sunday. You should come here and you should be nourished and encouraged and strengthened and blessed, not a bunch of burdens thrown on top of you. Now again, there will be exhortation from God's Word that will sometimes convict you, and it should. Convict us to live more holy lives. We're to be holy for He is holy. But we don't strive for holiness so that God will love us. It's because God loves us and we give our lives to Him that we can walk in holiness. Can you see the difference? Totally different attitude. Not being holy so God will love me, but because God loves me and I'm submitted to Him, I can walk in holiness. Verse 25. And again, it said they were unsettled. And the young men especially, I think, would be unsettled about the whole circumcision program. These guys are probably waiting for that word to come back, man. Dude, I'm hoping... Let's, be, let's pray. Let's pray. What do you think? I'm praying, right? These guys didn't want to hear about that, all right? But I'm sure they would have done it if it had been God's will. Verse 25. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our, our beloved Barnabas and Paul. So they're of one accord. They're of one heart. They came with dispute, and because they went to the authority, it came back in unity. Again, They didn't seek popularity before men. They went to the authority. They got the word from the authority, and they went with it. And sometimes we want to argue with God's word. How many of you have ever done that? Be honest. My hand's up. God's word tells you something. You're like, well, that, yeah, but that doesn't apply to my circumstances. I've had more people in counseling tell me, well, I know the Bible says do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, but you haven't seen her. She is fine. You know? She's, I'll bring her to church, right? I prayed and asked the Lord if, if, if it was His will that I'd get a day with her, and I got a day with her. It must be God. Stop it, right? If God says it, you don't have to pray about it, amen? You don't have to pray about stuff that's contrary to the Bible. We just, what does God's Word say? That's the authority. Let's go with it, amen? And too often, well, here's the things that we see very popular today. Well, that was written 2,000 years ago. We live in a different culture today. You know, and maybe homosexuality was wrong 2,000 years ago, but hey, you know, this is 2003, man, lighten up. Yeah, maybe it was wrong to cheat on your wife, and you know, but hey, you know, hey, live and let live. And we get this thing where we're real loose with God's Word. I'll tell you what, don't be loose with the Bible. Amen? This has got to be the authority in our lives. And it can't be the authority if you don't spend time in it. Read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? We need to open this thing up and spend time in God's Word. It's His love letter to us. And if we don't spend time in His Word, we're going to struggle with direction for our lives all the time. But if you're in His Word every day, and you're in prayer every day, and you're seeking His face, He's going to give you direction for your life. He's not going to keep you guessing. But we don't need to pray about things that are contrary to the Word. And we see here, they were one accord. Why? Because they had sought the authority, they had heard from God, and they were going to be obedient to it. It says there in verse 26 of Paul and Barnabas, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. These guys, literally, the word there is they gave up their lives. 
These guys had been expelled, they'd been threatened, they'd been beaten, they'd been mocked, and Paul had been stoned to death. These guys were sold out for their faith. And I've shared this with you before, when I went to India, I've never seen people with greater joy in their walk with the Lord than I saw in the Gospel for Asia Brothers over in India that I had a blessing of, of teaching them and preparing them as they're going out to plant churches. These guys live with nothing. They eat rice three times a day and they live in, they live in triple bunk beds and they don't have much. One pair of clothes. And, but you know their joy is incredible. Why? Because they just love Jesus. And they're willing to die for Him. And you know what? I think sometimes persecution can be a good thing. Because what persecution does is it makes us find out really where we're at with the Lord. You know, there's a lot of lukewarm Christianity where, well, I'm on the cruise ship to heaven, everything's perfect, I can serve God, but man, if persecution comes, what would happen to the churches in the United States if they, they made it against the law next week to go to church? And they said, anybody goes to church next Sunday is going to jail. I wonder what would happen to the churches in, in the United States. I wonder how many people would show up. I hope we'd all be here. Amen? Because if we can't stand for Him, we need to stand for Him. And that's what these guys had done. And he's reminding them, these guys have given up their lives for the Lord. You know, often we say, I want a testimony like Paul. I want a testimony like Peter. You know, I want to, I want to have an impact on the world around me. Well, then hold on. Because the guys that God used and the women that God used in the most mighty way are the ones that went through the greatest amount of persecution. Show me somebody used mightily by God in His Word, and I'll show you somebody who was persecuted for their faith. Often we're not persecuted because we're so quiet about our faith. We're undercover Christians, right? People are coming out of the closet for all kinds of stuff. We need to be coming out of the closet for Jesus Christ, amen? Not being ashamed of Him. Laying down our lives for Him. What did He do for us? He laid down His life for us. May we lay down our lives for Him. Walking in His grace. Again, not doing it because we feel like we have to to earn God's love, but because of His love for us. And they risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. His name is under attack these days. They want to get His name out of our schools. They want to get His name off of the coins that we have. They want to get His name off of everything. And may we stand up for His name. Verse 27. We therefore sent Judas and Silas, who also report the same things by the word of mouth. So Judas and Silas came back with Paul and Barnabas and others to testify that what Paul and Barnabas had heard was true. So that when they came back, they had witnesses with them who testified that Paul and Barnabas indeed had heard these words and now were delivering them back to the Gentiles. Verse 28-29. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden, burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these things, you, you will do well. Now, the Holy Spirit illuminates truth. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I'll tell you what, I think this would take care of a lot of our problems if we would try to begin our sentences like that. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to me that we do this. But too often we do what we want according to our flesh. The Holy Spirit has had nothing to do with with the decisions that we're making. It's been totally done in our flesh. And so we see here that they were led by the Spirit, not by legalism, And then he gives them, now you would say, Pastor Dave, this is confusing to me. You said it's all about grace, and now he's given them a list of things that they're supposed to stay away from. This doesn't make sense to me. How is it God's grace, but yet he gives instructions? Let me tell you why. Because this is a picture of grace to the Jews on behalf of the Gentiles. They were to stay away from things it says there, offered to idols. Most of the Gentiles were idol worshippers. And they were pagans. And the Jews would look upon them as pagan idol worshippers. And they used to take animals and sacrifice them to these idols and then eat the animal in the blood. And he said, look, you're not to do that. Because, first of all, under God's grace, could they have eaten something in the blood and still been saved? Yeah. But would they have stumbled their Jewish brothers who watched them doing this? The answer is yes. Sexual immorality went along heavily with idol worship. Because in idol worship, they had, they had a, a temple prostitutes. And he said, these are things that are adjoined to the, to the people you once were. You're not those people anymore. You're new creations in Christ. You're saved by grace, but you're now to walk in holiness before Him. Again, not a bunch of rules and burdens that prove salvation. Not keeping of the Old Testament law, but transformation that should come in your life when you're giving your life to the Lord. 
And he says, and don't abide in things that are going to bring stumbling to your brother. So then it ends there with a letter. And then verse 30, it says, So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now, I guess so. The letter comes back, and they gather everybody in, and the guys are probably back there going, Oh, dude. Grace, 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 please, 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 right? And he gets up and says, you know what they told you about circumcision and keeping the law? Wasn't from God. And they were encouraged, right? And they were all very encouraged by the fact that it was grace that saves them, not keeping good works, not keeping the rules and the rituals that produce salvation. You know, there's a Kmart in Scotts Valley, and uh, I go in there every once in a while, and I was walking in there, and every day they've got a Jehovah's Witness table sitting out there. And they're logging their hours, doing good works, so that somehow God might love me. You know, people come and knock on your... Now, we should be going door to door with our faith. I got no problem with that. But there's people going door to door so they can earn their salvation. I got I to get another brownie point so God will somehow love me. And God loves Charles Manson, Manson just as much as he loves Billy Graham. He loves Osama bin Laden as much as he loves Billy Graham. Now, Osama bin Laden has chosen to reject God, has turned away from him, and there'll be consequences to that choice. But does, did Jesus die on the cross for Osama bin Laden? Yes, he did. But he rejected it. And I want us to just to understand God's grace. His desires, none should perish, no, not one. But we have a choice to make. And so he comes back and he delivers God's word, and they're encouraged by it. And that's a sign that God's word is being delivered, is there's encouragement. Now again, there will be exhortation, and there will be times of conviction, but there will also be encouragement. There's some people that think you should go to church so the pastor can get a stick out and just wail on you for all the bad stuff you did during the week. Oh man, I love going to that church because I just get battered there. It's great, right? And the reality is that there should be exhortation to walk in holiness, but there also should be encouragement in the knowledge that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Amen? We should walk out here encouraged and loved and strengthened. And God's word came back to these people and they were encouraged. And that's the sign that God is speaking. Verse 32. Now Judas and Silas themselves being prophets also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. <clears throat> I'm going to encourage you with something. What I thought about here, <clears throat> these guys are not apostles, are they? <clears throat> Paul, these guys that came along with them, Silas and Judas, these guys come from, up from Jerusalem and yet they get up and begin to speak the word. Do you know that there's more than one person gifted to teach the Bible? Can I share something from my heart as your pastor just for a minute? I'm not picking on you. I love you guys. It breaks my heart that I hear that when I'm out of town, like half the people show up to church. Ouch. You just told me no one's going to hit me with a stick, and then look what you just did, right? But here's the reality, guys, that it's the Holy Spirit who's our teacher, not any individual man. Amen? And I listened to the tapes when I was gone, and man, I was blessed. And I ran into some, I heard some people that called, well, is Pastor Dave back yet? So I can come back to church? Man, that breaks my heart. Don't, man, maybe I need to leave for a month or two, man. And let's, let's, you know. But the reality is that we see here that these other men came and they exhorted him from the word and the people received it. Because they didn't say, well, you know, and later they would say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter. And man, that grieves God's heart. We follow the Lord, not men. Amen? It's the same Holy Spirit. That speaking through, through Silas and Judas is the same Holy Spirit was speaking through Paul and Barnabas. Same one. And we should be excited to come and gather with God's people. When I was in San Jose, that was a call we got all the time. Every Sunday, I'd be in there man in the phones, and, I, and I'd pick up the phone. Ten phone calls in a row. Is Pastor Don McClure going to be there today? Uh, yes, he is. Okay, I'll be there. Pastor Don McClure going to be there today? Pastor Don McClure going to be there today? You know, sometimes I was teaching that day. I was like, well, no, but... You can come anyway. I love Jesus too, you know. And so I just want to encourage you that we see that others are called and others are gifted. Hey, you come out on Friday morning, you're going to see, we've got 15 guys in our church that can flat out, gifted, called by God, teach God's word. I mean, we're blessed. 
And I'm blessed. Every Friday I go, I get blessed. I get encouraged. I get strengthened in my walk with the Lord. And these other men came, and they were men that were new to the body, but they came in and they exhorted them. And they strengthened the brethren with many words. And praise the Lord for that. Spoke through these vessels. All are called. Verse 33 and 34. And after they had stayed there for a time, they, they sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. So after a while, they delivered the word that this group that had come from Jerusalem all went back, but Silas remained. We're going to see in a minute the significance behind that. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I truly believe that a calling from God is always a get to and never a have to. For Silas, it seemed good to stay in Antioch. He went there and he was like, you know what? I want to stay. That's the Holy Spirit working on your heart. You know, I really want to minister to the kids in the children's ministry. Man, I've got a burn to get there early and pray for Sunday morning. I've got, and it's a get to. It's not a have to. And for Silas, it seemed good to him. He was delighting himself in the Lord and he gave him the desires of his heart. And, and while this may seem flipped to you, let me share something with you. I truly believe this to be true. You love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You spend time in his word every day. You spend time on your knees before Him and then do what you want. Because you know what happens when you're walking closely with Him? His desire becomes your desire. You start to want what He wants. You start to love what He loves. And usually, you'll know it's God because it makes no sense to the world. I'm going to quit my job. You're going to do what? I'm going to go to, yeah, and God starts working on you. I'm going to work with the teenagers on purpose. Right? I was a youth pastor for 15 years. People said, what, did you draw the shortest straw? What happened? How did you get the teenagers? And it became such a get-to for me. I just love teenagers, and I still do. And that's the thing that will happen when you're called by God. To Silas, it seemed good to him to stay in Antioch. It seems good to me to be in Santa Cruz. How about you? It seems good to me to be doing what I'm doing. I'm blessed. And I pray that we're all blessed, being where we are, doing what God has called us to do. Verse 35, And Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And notice it's divided there, teaching and preaching. Teaching is speaking to those who are already saved and equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And preaching is exhorting or proclaiming the gospel. And that should be happening in a church. That's the heart of a pastor. Teaching and, and encouraging and equipping the disciples, but also preaching, proclaiming the gospel to those who don't know him. I've had people ask me before, well, Pastor Dave, you know, you, you share the gospel an awful lot. It's not going to change. Because there might be one person here today that needs to know the love of Jesus Christ. And it's important that we share that over and over and over. And can I tell you something? As a Christian, when I hear the gospel, it blesses me. Doesn't it bless you? Man, thank you, Lord. It brings me, oh, thank you, Lord, that I'm forgiven. I remember when I was a new, you know, when I was younger, I, I wanted to get saved a lot. Man, that sounds good, you know, I want, yeah. Oh, you're already saved, yeah, but that just sounds good. And it should be an encouragement to us. Those are those encouraging words. So they were teaching and preaching. They were, they were encouraging and exhorting those who were already saved and equipping them for the work of the ministry, but they were preaching the truth at the same time. They were proclaiming the gospel. Now watch what happens in the middle of all this. But notice what they were teaching. Look what it says. They were teaching what? Last verse. The what? What were they teaching? The word of the Lord. They were teaching five principles to grow a church and make it really big. They were teaching, you know, seven ways to have financial freedom, three steps to, to great joy in your life. They were teaching what? The word of God. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So they didn't teach anything else. They taught the Bible. I can't imagine what it's like to try to teach something else. I don't get it. But God's word is what we need, not the opinions of men. Now watch what happens, though. Therefore, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So Paul says to Barnabas, Hey, now some believe it's been as many as five years since they went to these cities initially. We don't have any definite proof of that, but... But that seems to be the case. But it's been some time. And they said, let's go back to the cities where we planted all those churches on the first missionary journey, and let's find out how those churches are doing. Now that's the heart of a pastor. How are they doing? You know, we planted a church there. Let's go back and encourage them and love on them and find out how they're doing. Now remember what had happened when they went to these cities the first time. 
Lystra, Iconium, Derby. Everywhere they went, they had been persecuted. But they wanted to go back and encourage the brothers, but they don't talk about persecution. They don't say, let's go back to that city where I had rocks thrown at me until I was dead. That's not what he says, right? He says, let's go back to those places where we planted churches and encourage the brothers in the Lord. Why? Because their focus was on the eternal, not the temporal. Their focus was on the fruit of ministry, not the, the fact that they had gone through some difficulty in ministry. You know, you look back and you see the fruit and the, and the persecution that comes with it or the struggles or the trials that go with it seem like nothing. And that's how these guys were. They went back and said, you know, God gave us a burden. He moved on their heart. Let's go back and tell them. Let's go back and minister to them. And so God has put this burden on their heart. One thing I want to say too, just as a side note, you know, you can't give other people your vision. I used to try to do that a lot. I'm, I was bad at that. And Paul and Barnabas were called to go back. You don't see anybody else going back to these churches. But these guys had a burden that came from God, and so they went. And too often what will happen is we, give, we look at someone else's life and we tell them what their burden ought to be. Dude, you know what you need to be doing. Here's what you need to be doing. And the problem with that is sometimes it's my vision, not theirs. Do you know that before we came and started this church here, that I brought the pastor from Calvary Aptos over to this building, and I walked into this building like, Larry, and Larry's a wonderful brother, and, and he's called to be where he is. But I'm like, dude, you should move the church over here, and it'll be awesome. And, and then he's like, oh, Dave, sounds good. But that was my vision. My buddy Rick Franks was meeting in Scotts Valley. I drove him down to this building. I'm like, Rick, check it out, bro. You're meeting in a dam. There's no park. Come down here. Santa Cruz needs it bad. Look at this, man. There's parking and there's children's men. It'd be great. Well, sounds good, Dave. Whose vision was it? It was mine. Well, look where we're at. We're sitting in here, right? And too often what happens is we try to, now, were they outside of God's will not wanting to come here? No. Because it wasn't the burden God gave them. It was the burden God gave me. And too often we look and we want to take a burden we have and say, you know, God's given me a burden that I should be on my knees praying 60 hours a week. And brother, if you're not doing that, be careful. If that's your burden, you be obedient to it. But don't place your burden on top of somebody else. Pray for them. Let God minister to them and through them. And so Paul and Barnabas had this burden to go back, but watch what happens. Now Barnabas was determined to take with him John called Mark. Who's this guy? Who remembers him? First missionary journey. What did he do? He went home. He quit. The word there is he deserted them. They're out sharing their faith, and they're ministering to people, and there's persecution that comes, and John Mark says, I'm going home. I'm done. Now, we know that John Mark was either the nephew or the cousin of Barnabas. He was much younger, probably 18, 19 years old. They go out there, and he said, I didn't sign up for this program. I'm going home. And we don't know exactly why he went home, but he went home. Now, Paul wasn't real thrilled with John Mark. And look what it says here in the next verse. But Paul insisted they should not take the one who had departed, or the word there is deserted from them in Pamphylia, and had, gone, had not gone with him to the what? To the work. He had bailed out on the work. And Paul looks at him and is like, dude, that guy's worthless. We're not taking him. There's no way. We took him last time. Let's bring somebody else. Let's bring somebody who's called. And Paul's perspective was this. Paul's perspective was, what can this guy do for the ministry? What can he do for the ministry? Now, Barnabas is a different kind of a man. Barnabas' name means son of what? Son of encouragement. Who was the one that went and put his arm around Paul and loved on Paul when nobody else would, right when Paul got saved? Barnabas. And Barnabas is the kind of guy at church that when you've totally blown it and your, your life's just a wreck and he comes up and puts his arm around you and says, do you know the Lord loves you? He loves you. And he still wants to use you. He's not done with you. Be encouraged. That's Barnabas. Now look what it says, Barnabas. And it says there, then the contention became so sharp they departed from one another. And Barnabas took John Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Now it's interesting. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, the one who befriended, befriended uh, Paul looks at John Mark and sees his potential. Paul looks at John Mark and sees his failure. Paul looks at him and says, he blew it. I don't want him anymore. What can he do for the ministry? He's, no good, he's of no value to us. Leave him home. He saw, was looking, what can he do for the ministry? And 
Barnabas is looking at him and saying, what can the ministry do for him? How can the ministry change him? You know what, let's take him along and he'll grow as we go out there. What's the worst that can happen? So he goes home again. That's okay. Let's just take him anyway. Now, who's right? There's much debate about who's right. But let me say this. In a way, I think they both are. Paul had a vision and a burden and a passion to do something. And he knew that he needed men who were going to be sold out to walk with him. And he saw, Bar- he saw John Mark and said, this is not the guy that we're supposed to take. Barnabas, on the other hand, had a passion for people and said, man, I love this guy. Let me take him. I'll take You don't want him, I'll take him. Give him to me. I'll minister to him. Paul was looking at him and saying, take your sniveling nephew and go home, right? Barnabas is looking at him and saying, you know what? God can do great things with this young man. I want to, I want to invest my life in him. I want to disciple this guy. I want to take him with me. And so look what happens. They, there's this division, and then they go in opposite directions. It says there, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. Who did Paul choose? Silas. Why was Silas in Antioch? It seemed good to him to stay there. Do you see how he took step number one and stayed? Everybody went home and it seemed good to him to stay. And he stayed and God knew that Paul was going to be taking him on the next missionary journey and he was going to be used in a mighty way. But he had to take step number one for step number two to take place. If he'd gone back to Jerusalem, would he have been going on this journey with Paul? No. And so often God's waiting for us to take the first step so that he might bless us with the second one. Silas, it seemed good to him to stay. So... We see division here. And I love the fact that the Bible never hides the the frailties of its saints. You don't see the Bible portraying these guys as being perfect. But again, who's right? Only God ultimately knows. I would would like to say that if I were going to err on one side or the other, I'd hope I would err on the side of Barnabas. I hope I would err on the side of showing too much grace. I would rather stand before God being too gracious than being too rough. Amen? Amen? But we see here that Paul's sent out, and we see that there's going to be fruit. How did John Mark finish up? Who wrote the Gospel of Mark? John Mark. Who was the one that when Paul in his last days was laying about to die in jail, who did he send for to comfort him? John Mark. Can I encourage you that if someone looks at you like the sniveling, wimpy little nephew that's of no value, that God can still do great things with you? Amen? that you may have blown it in the past and you may have set out to do great things for God and you failed miserably, I want you to know that God is a God of grace and a God of love and a God of mercy and He still wants to use you. He's not, you're breathing in and out. He's not done with you. Amen? He still has a heart and a plan to do great things with you. Verse 41. And He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So what's interesting about this is what happened by this division? What was the end result? The ministry doubled. These guys had two different visions. They went in two different directions. And what happened? The ministry doubled. And and again, I believe that this was God's perfect plan. That Paul had one vision and Barnabas had another one. But that's okay. It's okay. It's okay that they go in different directions. Last five verses. I want us to see something here. So walking in God's grace. We see them delivering the grace to those around them. We see that, that God's graciousness even over division in the body. But I want you to see this in the last five verses really quickly here. It says, Then they came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. Now Timothy is a guy we're going to look at a lot as we move on. And Timothy was a young man, again, probably in his late teens or early 20s. He was half Jew and half Gentile. And this guy would eventually be Paul's right-hand guy. He would eventually be a a pastor and be used mightily by God. The letters, 1 and 2 Timothy, are written to him by Paul about being a pastor, what it means to be a pastor. And so Timothy is a guy that God's going to raise up and use. And it says in Philippians, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I may also be encouraged when when I know your state, because I have no one like-minded, one who sincerely can care, care for you like, like Timothy will. You know, the reality is that Timothy was so like-minded with Paul. And it's interesting that he goes out on this journey, he doesn't have John Mark with him, and he sees this Timothy. 
Now, John Markey saw somebody that was of no value send that guy home. Barnabas has a heart for him. Barnabas starts to disciple him, and John Mark becomes a mighty man of God. Because I believe Paul is called to minister to Timothy, when he sees Timothy, he sees something special in him. And Timothy's the one he puts his arm around. And so I believe that we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit that maybe there's somebody that someone else doesn't feel called to minister to because you're supposed to. Paul didn't feel, no, that's not, but he's, then he met Timothy. Oh, this is the guy. This is the guy I'm going to pour my life into. This is the guy I'm going to pour my heart into. And we're going to see ingredients for true discipleship here, four of them real quickly. Look at verse four. He was well spoken of by his brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. So Timothy had an, an existing love for God. These are ingredients of, of a disciple of Christ. He had an existing love for God. He was a young man of good reputation among believers. He'd been impacted by his godly mother and Paul's first visit to Lystra. I believe when Paul came through the first time, that's when Timothy got saved. He'd heard about Paul. He knew about Paul. When Paul came, he man, I want to hang out with this guy. Man, that's the guy that was stoned outside the city and came back in and kept preaching. Man, I want to hang out with that guy. And so Timothy's heart was to spend time with Paul. Also, he was a mature believer who was willing to pour his life into uh, pour his life into someone. Verse 3. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. Now watch this. And he took him and what? What? Wait a minute. Didn't we just spend an entire chapter? Didn't it just say we don't have to be circumcised to be saved? Timothy's half Gentile. And they're circumcising it. What? This doesn't make any sense. Why in the world would they Why would Paul? Paul was the one that stood up and said, no, you don't need to be circumcised. Paul is the one that went back to Jerusalem and got the word that you don't need to be circumcised. He then came back and delivered the message to all the people, and they were encouraged by it. You know, and they saw the rejoicing over not having to be circumcised. Then he goes, picks up Timothy on his way for his second missionary journey, and Paul not only tells him he has to be, he gets the knife out. And he circumcises Timothy. I believe this is walking in God's grace. Let me tell you why. Circumcision was not necessary for salvation. But sometimes circumcision is helpful in ministry. Keeping the law would allow Timothy to have a greater opportunity to minister to the Jews. If they knew that he was keeping the law, you know, Paul would later say that, that we be all things to all people that we might win some. You know, if you've got a brother who's a vegetarian and you invite him over to your house or a friend or someone trying to share your faith with, don't serve prime rib, right? Because you're going to stumble your brother. And that's what he's doing here. He's walking in God's grace. He knows he doesn't have to be circumcised to be saved, but he does it that he might have a more effective testimony. I'm going to do this so that I might reach people. That's a sacrifice. That's a willingness to truly be discipled. That's saying, hey, I, whatever it takes, that's what I have to do, fine. If it's going to incur pain on me, that I'm willing to do it, that God might be glorified and I might be able to, to uh, minister. So Paul wanted him to go with him. And he was willing to do whatever it took to leave his friends behind, to, to give all of his time, to lose his old habits, to get rid of his possessions. And Timothy, the cost was immediate. And it hurt. It says, he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in the region, for they all knew his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So they took that letter that had been delivered to Antioch, and now they're delivering it to everybody. You don't have to be circumcised to be saved. You don't have to do that. It would be like me telling you, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. But can I tell you that I've been baptized? Can I tell you that I encourage you to be baptized? But do you have to be baptized to be saved? The answer is no. Because then you're adding to the cross. All right? Last verse. So the churches were strengthened in faith and increased in number daily. So what was the fruit of him taking Timothy with him? What was the fruit of him grabbing this guy and discipling him and pouring his life out in him? We see this common bond between the discipler and the disciplee. Their passion was the same. Their heart was the same. Their desire was the same. And can I tell you that one of the things I, I, that I want to encourage us with, the Great Commission is to make what? disciples. And one of the things I see lacking in the church today is not a lot of people making disciples. Now, that's what's happening right now. Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. You're getting fed this morning from God's Word. Hopefully not the opinions of a man, but the Word of God, right? 
And that helps us to grow. But I believe that there's a need for discipleship. I believe that's kind of what, that's what happens on Friday morning. But I believe there needs to be more of that. I remember being in, in uh, the Coliseum. 100,000 guys were there for Promise Keepers. Worship was pretty awesome. This is, I don't know how many years ago. My dad was with me. And at one point, a guy taught in discipleship, and he said, turn around and get in a circle with about eight or ten guys that you don't know. And so I got in a circle, and he said, ask these questions. Who's discipling you, and who are you discipling? And the answer was, nobody, 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 all the way around the whole circle. And who's discipling you? Who do you hang out with that's more spiritually mature than you are, that you seek to glean truth from? And who are you investing your life in? And I don't mean you have to meet with them every day, but there's other people that you gather together with and minister to and spend time investing your life in and praying for and encouraging them. Someone who can call you and you've got their phone number and you can call them. And there needs to be that kind of accountability and discipleship going on in the church. That's where growth comes from. So in closing, walking in God's grace. The disciples delivered the gospel of grace to all who would listen, both in word, by written decree, and in deed, in the fact that Timothy was willing to do whatever it took to minister to people. God's grace at work, even in the midst of division. They divided, they were struggling with one another, but the ministry grew. Grace, what is grace? Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace brings joy, legalism brings a burden. May we be a place where the joy of the Lord is evident. Amen? Where we preach the, His joy. And remember, it's not faith plus works. It's not faith or works. It's faith that works. May we share the gospel of grace. And may we bring joy to hurting hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that we can walk in Your grace. It's by grace we've been saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. But Father, I pray that as we've been born again and filled with your Holy Spirit and we're walking in your grace, that at the same time, Lord, we should pursue holiness. You say in your word to be holy for I am holy. Lord, not pursuing holiness so you will love us, but being holy because you love us, because you dwell within us, because we spend time in your presence. Father, help us, Lord, to be men and women like that, men and women of great faith who walk in grace will reflect your love to a lost and a dying world. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you that you paid the price that we could not pay. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, let's stand and close the worship song.